This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus, talking with Stephen Fryer, who's uh, running for council, and uh, you're, you're no stranger to to elections. This is what your second one. This is my second one, and thank you, Marcus, for uh, for having me on uh, on your podcast. And Stephen, uh, this is the question I lead with all the candidates. There's 22 of you, man, and you're all fighting for six spots. What makes you special from the rest? I'm raised in this community. I'm rooted. I'm raising the third generation of uh, the Friar family in Squamish. And I love this town, really. And I'm sure that everybody else has said the same, or I hope they've said the same. They love this town. I've got family. And that was the one thing I saw in the candidates when I was making my decision to run again for the second time was that uh, I just didn't see enough family background in the council candidates that had already uh, declared at that time. So, you know, I do a lot of work with the youth in our community, whether it's sports or whether it's with school background, and they need to be represented at the table on October 20th, the families and the children uh, of Squamish. And I think that's what makes me different. Well, you're the president of PAC at the Braggendale uh, Elementary. You're also, you, I don't know how many hockey teams you're coaching. You're, you're well involved in, in the hockey when hockey season's around. Uh, I, I've, you're at the ring pretty much all the time, apart from being the PAC, and your day job, uh, which you are an insurance ingester. So you are no, no stranger to policy. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, Marcus, uh, you know, my professional background as an insurance claims adjuster has prepped me for a lot of things, you know, assessing stuff conflict, risk management, liability, uh, negotiation, mediation. That's the professional side, you know. But these uh, are translatable skills, obviously, to counsel. I, I, would, I would suggest they are, and I, I believe they are. I mean, I don't tout my professional background as much as I probably should, but my professional background is only trumped by the commitment, my giving back to the community. Uh, I've been doing this since I was 12 years old. It started as a referee in hockey. I continue to give back to that organization, to Squamish Minor Hockey. Uh, to this day, I, like you said, I coach a couple different hockey teams for a long period of time uh, I was a referee in chief and I also sat for four or five years as the uh, vice president of these of the association during that time we worked hard with big levels of uh, policy and governance and we did a massive review with uh, BC hockey on on their governance and their policy that worked hand in hand with with hockey Canada so yeah you're right I mean I'm no stranger to to policies and procedures and governance uh, even governance changes you you know, I like to be involved. I like to be active in my community. And when I'm not at the, the hockey rink, I'm on the baseball field coaching with House on Minor Ball. I did my stint with Squamish Youth Soccer Association, too, as well, although both my kids don't participate in the organized soccer as they did once. But, yeah, I've been involved in my community since I was about 12 years old in varying different levels. And like I said, not even including, you know, being a part of um, the Brackendale Elementary Pack, which I've been president of for the last couple of years, and before that was involved for a couple of years prior to that. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I want to instill the fact that you have the policy background is because we're at a such precipice of change right now. We've had a government who's been in there who has been leading up to big changes coming into uh, into the area, you know, then all of them pretty much decided not to run again. 
So we have lots of things coming up. Possibly there are some gaps missing or there's some things that they be, need to be continued on. And uh, there's some adjustments that need to be made because big change means you need to evolve and adapt to those changes. So, yeah. And I mean, when you look at it, Marcus, in, in, in understanding the history of council and what's happened over this past term, they have put a lot of things in place to assist this new this new council you know, both, both council and mayor, you know, there's a lot of policies and procedures that have been put in place now, um, whether it's the wastewater management or any one of those different new procedures that they've actually been acted. There's been a lot of over this past four years, a lot of policy review, uh, a lot of consultation, you know, now you've got that the policies and procedures to be followed. And in most cases, you know, a good understanding of the fiscal ramifications you know, of those policies and procedures that have been written. And that's where the question lies is the fiscal aspect of it, because, you know, we've been talking a lot. It's been a big topic about how much money we need in terms of amenity growth. Uh, you know, you're Brennan Park. You know, I'm sure you would appreciate a second ice sheet uh, when it comes to waste management and the dump. There is need for growth there. I mean, we need to be able to turn our taps on. The question is, do we have enough fiscal strength for all this growth? Well, listen, at the end of the day, the, whether it's the uh, the water master plan or the liquid waste master plan or the affordable housing report, uh, all of these things have or will guide our future council. There is monetary amounts that are attached to these. And, you know, with inflation and, and the economy going the way it is, those costs are going to change. But they also have to guide, I guess, the policies and procedures that are going to be implemented as we move forward in the District of Squamish. So you got to lean on those those policies and those reviews that have been completed to guide you. Um, but really what needs to happen now is a little bit of foresight and, you know, an action plan, you know, with measurable goals. You know, we always talk a lot in business to KPI. So key production indicators. So, you know, setting attainable goals, setting reasonable and attainable goals that reflect those policies and procedures that people have done hard work and, and the previous council has done hard work to resurrect and to create. That's got a guide. So when we talk to the money, the monetary portion of it, you got to remember that we there's only so much in the budget. You know, that has to be taken into consideration. And then obviously you've got to, you've got to speak to the economy and how do we, how do we grow that economy and, and create that tax base yeah. to try to start to broach some of these things that yeah, need to because be done. You have to infuse the budget with extra income so you can, infrastructure fails at some point. After so many years, the infrastructure needs to be replaced. And if the budget's been the same for so long, then that budget needs to adapt for, again for more growth that is coming to Squamish. But before we get into um, budget injectors, like big projects that are slated for, for Squamish, let's talk about policy. So let's, let's take on this for a bit. In regards to with all the policies and plans, are they fully comprehensive? Do you have a proper guidebook or do you think you're missing a couple of chapters? Well, listen, I mean, and that's going to be the challenge for the new council is to get into these. I myself have done, done my homework with them. I've gotten through these policies and these procedures, you know, whether it's the water uh, master plan again or the, the liquid waste management plan. You know, that's not as fancy, but it's something that definitely needs consideration. You know, same with the affordable housing report that was completed. You know, these things, while they may have seemed comprehensive to the council at the time, 
um, councils giving staff direction uh, with respect to facilitating and creating these. And when they go out to these companies, they're going to, you know, essentially they're going to, they're going to lend their name to it. They're going to complete these reports and they have certain directive to it, right? Obviously you want it to be as comprehensive as possible, but some may see it differently than others. That's just part of the due process, right? The council's going to sit down and they're going to have a look through these plans if they haven't already. And they're going to have their own take, whether they feel that these are comprehensive enough or if there's a revision that needs to be made or a point that needs to be to looked at. In your mind, through your analysis and pouring through the documents, I'm asking you personally, have you found some things that you're like, "Eh, you know, that could be tweaked a little well in looking at it they seem to be pretty comprehensive they list through a lot of the major points that need to be reflected in them that the monetary amounts that they're attributing to what they feel is required over you know in in some of these plans they're due you know 2030 there's going to be a lot of growth and you know that's based on projections so they seem to be fairly comprehensive but once you get down to the nuts and bolts of it all what you get behind doors and and you know the debate that will go on i'm sure there'll be you know some requests from councillors that do that are successful possibly the mayor themselves uh his or herself that will question some of these reports and some of the information that's in them so i mean a lot of these things a lot of these budgets and a lot of these reports i think would be helped with an injection of funds. So let's get to these big projects. Which one do you want to start with first? You want to start with Caribbean Squamish, or you want to start with LNG? I'll, I'll give it to you. Which well, one? listen, you, you're you're very kind in allowing me to uh, to have my choice on either of these two nice, bright, shiny projects. Uh, listen, you know, obviously, um, <laughs> we'll give seniority to LNG, okay. um, or maybe not, because it, I was going to say it's been around. Well, but, you know, Caribbean Squamish has been around since, since I was sixties. Well, yeah, since yeah. I was, you know, essentially since I was born. So. Yeah. You know what? Let's touch on LNG. All right. LNG at this point is we're waiting for an assessment from them, their budget assessment, and we're waiting for our BC assessment for tax money. The, the, the number that we can receive via taxes could be from 5 to $10 million. The number seems to go all over the place if we can ever figure out how to properly assess it. Is it a viable project for Squamish in terms of environment, in terms of money, in terms of anything? Is it a project that's good for Squamish? The first time that I ran for council, I would suggest I, you know, I probably made the mistake of not looking into this enough. As I've talked to people, as I've engaged with, you know, my friends and my family and my community, you look at the project uh, with a broad scope and you, you look at all the pros and the cons. You know, when you really delve into it, prefacing this whole conversation, there is really only two, and I've always said this, two groups that can quash this, this project. And that was the provincial federal government and the Squamish First Nations. And it's, it's widely publicized that the Squamish First Nations, they've already bargained and they've already come up with a deal with respect to WLNG with, you know, if it, if it goes forward, they've already got their deal. They've already got an agreement in place. It's not officially signed yet, though. There's an agreement, but nothing has officially gone forward, has it? Well, it, it, it's mine. I mean, I'm just going by what's what's been publicized out there. That at the end of the day, they they had agreement. So whether they have or have not, uh, I'm not sure. But what I what I do know is that you know, large majority of the Squamish First Nation, they're not in favor of the project. You know, I mean, I know it's there's 
you know, chiefs and councils made up of 16 people. They make decisions for the Squamish Nation. You speak to a lot of the members. They're not in support of this project, right? But to speak to it, that was what I always prefaced, was that these two groups have the ability to stop this project. And at this point in time, we understand what the Environmental Assessment Office is. You know, it's it's not created to say no. It's created to say yes with monetary ramifications. Well, it's, it's right? because it's the proponent that's putting forth the environmental assessment, right? Well, that's right. And I mean, you have to look at the history of it, right? You're talking, you know, a liberal government at that time when these things were getting pushed through, they wanted these things and they're also the ones that are going to review it. So I don't think anybody sees the, the EAO as objective. It's my personal opinion that, you know, the EAO is not to, it's not meant to say no, it's meant to say yes with conditions. And most of those conditions come with monetary ramifications. Going back to it and and being very blunt, I do not think that WLNG is a good fit for the house sound, um, given the habitat and, and the ecosystem that we have out there and really the resurgence. But I'm going to end it like this. I was asked a question by a man who lives in Britannia. And I'm not going to name anybody. Uh, I respect him and I respect his views as I respect everybody's views. Um, and I was asked the question, what for all the industry that we've had in the sound, what have we been left with? A cleanup, period, point blank. Uh, whether it was can oxy, whether it was wood Next fiber, thing. whether it was Britannia mines. We've always been left with a cleanup when everything's all said and done. Me personally, I do not believe it's the right fit. Now, that being said, if this project does go forward, Squamish needs to be, and its council, need to be prudent in negotiations to ensure that the the taxation on that property is fiscally responsible, but also mutually beneficial to Squamish, in that there is a lot of risk to be taken by the District of Squamish on that project with respect to the health and safety of its residents and our ecosystems that needs to be taken into consideration. Now, a couple of councillors have come up or council candidates have come up and said, listen, we can make life difficult for uh, LNGs and make it not even worthwhile funding the project. And so the project becomes, uh, doesn't even happen. Is that something that as candidates you can do? Well, listen, if we go back to the history, the history of it is this. When the liberal government came out and said that this was their mandate and they won that provincial election last minute, I almost say because of this big LNG carrot that has not come to fruition. And it's possibly one of the reasons they lost the last time around. But you have to understand Rich Coleman, two years ahead of the prior election, locally anyways, was at the UBCM telling local government officials, you are not going to quash these projects with local taxation. That taxation locally will be capped on these projects. And and that's one of the things I'm very interested to delve more into if I'm elected. What is the NDP and you know that that coalition, the Green NDP coalition, what is their stance? Is is it still that? Are they still going to cap municipal taxation on these projects or are they going to allow obviously prudent negotiations and ensuring for these municipalities to ensure they get what they rightfully deserve? out of these projects and that it's not simply another decry on the ROI by the investors that are putting these projects in. The voices I hear on, on the council candidates and mostly council is like, yeah, we just need to get the best deal or I'm going to try and quash this as best I can. So you seem to be more in the kind of the middle ground on that. 
Well, I mean, Marcus, two groups have to quash it. Locally, right. we cannot quash it. I mean, unless we're we're being we're asking for so much with respect to local taxation, I just I can't see that happening. I it, well, and the reason why I say because at one point in time there was there was a threat from the liberal government that you either a we're going to cap the taxation or b we're just going to annex the land and then it's out of your jurisdiction. As I understand, they're well within the right to do that. The provincial government could just come in and say, "Yeah, that's ours now." I don't know the legalities of all of that, Marcus. I just, well, if they want to, I would, I would say, like, if you, they want to come and annex it, that's not something that you can take to court, and court takes years. I mean, and, and LNG is already four or five years behind. So, I mean, it's all about stalling tactics, and that's what mm-hmm. you can do to sort of stall it if you want to. I'm not saying, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think what these candidates, when they say we can do our best to sort of to halt it, is I think it's more delay tactics than flat out halting it. But uh, you, you seem, like I'm saying, you seem to come from a common sense approach. Saying, but, I mean, are you going to limit your your fight if there is a fight to be had to, to the provincial government saying, okay, you know what, you're going to just annex it? Fine. Or you can... You know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, how, yeah. How, uh, I mean, like I say, Marcus, there is... The two external factors for outside the, the district of Squamish that that can quash this project, they obviously have not. And so now, really, we have to ensure that we're getting what is rightfully ours with respect to taxation. Wood fiber, put you know, previously as a pulp mill, infused a lot of tax dollars industry-wise to our community. And there's been a big hole ever since. And I agree. But at the end of the day, they were also a major polluter. My father worked there. I understand, you know, firsthand, you know, what they did over there. I get that. Fed my family at the time. When you see the resurgence of the ecosystem in the sound and you go back and you answer that question for all of the industrialization of the sound that we've had, what have we been left with? We're still right back at the same spot we were before. I don't personally think that the District of Squamish will be able to stop that project if they want to go through. There are things that we can do that are within our control, i.e. the dock, i.e. the Daryl Bay dock. But you're right. If that's the MO of the council that's elected to stall this thing out, I'd like to see where that goes. I don't understand how that would happen. I guess I've not done my homework enough to understand, you know, whether they can do that, whether that would actually be something, you know, again, the annexing of that land. I know that was a threat at one point in time, likely from the pro side, I'm sure. But then, like I say, with respect to taxation, I, I just simply don't know. All right. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Do you want to stick with Garibaldi Squamish or continue with this whole hole in the budget because of the money that was brought in by wood fiber that we haven't recouped yet? We can, there's, there is a fork in the road now. Do you want to go to Garibaldi Way or do you want to go to hole in the budget? Well, now? listen, let's before we get into budget, because that's just numbers. Well, no, because we're talking about diversifying the economy because of that hole of, of now. Now we're going that way. You just made the decision for me. Yeah. So because of that two million dollars a year that was missing for wood fiber to close down, we've been having a bit of an issue when it comes to property taxes and the comes down to business taxes and, and so forth and it always seems like we're we're always needing more and more and more i mean our taxes went up uh, an incredible amount in the last 10 years i think four times the rate of inflation i think mm-hmm. it's gone up uh, I, i'm not just don't quote me on that but i think that's that's how it feels when i when i yeah get i don't have the direct numbers but i think what was it <laughs> one and a half this year for the year prior right. for so, the year prior to that seven the year prior to that exactly. and i think six and a half prior to that so it's, absolutely it's, going up, right? it's, it's not going down no but that's and, for sure and business taxes are the same especially when they have the the, the the new bc assessment coming in where you've seen business taxes go up from ten thousand 
16,000 to 16,000 just because he, they have a business on a plot of land that could be a six-story building. That's terrible. Like it's, it's, it's hard to conduct business. It's a burden on families who are already, I would say, mortgage poor because of the housing prices, the way it is. So a lot of the talk has been densifying the economy, or not densifying, uh, sort of... Uh, Diversifying, diversifying the yeah. economy, and and then create more density in terms of homes, and so you get more bang for your buck. And then there's the question of affordable housing. I mean, you're not going to have business without employees. Where are your employees going to live? And we don't have the space for any of it. Where do we start? When I say organic and holistic, it is a big circle. You cannot do one without the other. And I, you know, housing, employment attraction, business attraction. That all comes down. They are all related to one another in, and also the budget. So you look at, you know, how do we stimulate the economy in Squamish? How do we diversify our tax base with respect to recreation, industry, all of that kind of stuff while tackling the issue of affordability, while tackling the issue of housing, while tackling the land use? When you look to it all, it is all connected. It's interconnected. One thing does not stand alone from the other. And I see a lot of this in the candidacy runs right now is that, you know, they're picking out, we're saying this, we're saying that, you know, but really it's all connected. You're not going to attract that big business. But you're going to have to start somewhere, right? 100%, but you're not going to attract that big business if the taxation on that big business makes it doesn't make it cost effective. Well, yeah. and, if you're, mean, and if that's not cost effective, well, then we just move on to the housing. If they don't have housing for their employees, then you cannot have, you're not going to have the employees that need to run that business. So well, the taxation becomes an, a moot point. Yeah, I mean, right? that's the thing if you're trying to attract a business who already has employees, right? I mean, uh, we, there's been a big talk about incentivizing or trying to get companies to come here. And it's like, we don't have any, I don't think we have any incentives to give. You can't say we'll give you a tax break if you bring your company here because we need the tax money. And that's and, and then how else are you going to sell Squamish? Yes, it's a fantastic, great place to live. Okay, so is that still going to be worth me uprooting my 20 or 30 employees up to Squamish? Well, that's exactly it. How do you incentivize companies to come here when there's no money in the budget at this point in time? And I think it chaps a lot of people in Squamish. There's a lot of malcontent when you see articles written locally that these developers are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax breaks a year. And yet we have infrastructure issues. You know, and I'm not talking to the Brendan Park. When I'm talking infrastructure, I'm talking, you have to prioritize things. I'm talking wastewater. We're talking water. If you can't flush your toilet or turn on your taps, we're in trouble. And that's before an ice rink. If your first responders cannot get to us because their buildings are decrepit and long past their normal lifespan, then there's problems. You have to understand that that all these things are interconnected oh, and to simply that. try to say that, you know, you're, you're going to try and incentivize or offer incentives to these companies to come. It's a way bigger issue than that. So then I guess it comes down to growing from within. It's sort of giving space to the companies that are already here. Some of the candidates have come out and said there are some pretty big companies here that's ready to blossom. There's just rules that sort of inhibit their growth or they just don't have the space to grow. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I'm getting, I'm raised here. We talked to what this town used to be. It was logging. You know, it was industry. It was, that, that's what everyone it was. Everyone worked together. Right? Everyone that, drank together. That's exactly it, yeah. right? Now, you're bringing these people are coming to our town, and they're bringing with it fresh ideas and enthusiasm and an entrepreneurial spirit. That is absolutely wonderful. You know, look at the smile on my face. I, I love it. It's scary. We wouldn't, have a, <laughs> we wouldn't have happy mess. 
Right. We wouldn't have backcountry brewing, a freight brewing. We wouldn't have air house. These ideas came from people who were new to current community or trans or, or returnees with fresh ideas and enthusiasm and a will to get it done. You've, you've got a base of these people already here. And I think, you know, we need to empower these people. You look back to taxation. We're taxing businesses. We're, we're trying to make up for that shortfall, you know, because we know we can't go back to homeowners anymore. We're taxing them at a rate that is not sustainable. And then we're turning to the business owners too as well. So you got to think outside the box. You know, there's got to be some, some collaboration between business and that, those entrepreneurs in our town. We've got to bring them to the table. We have to understand what works and what worked for them. And that'll help us help them and create um, an environment where we're attracting those businesses to Squamish. Yeah, it's about keeping the brain trust in town. Like We have some incredibly professional, smart people in town that spend their time on the highway going to work in Vancouver. It's about somehow getting them to stay here and use their brain trust here. It's just where do we plant the seeds? Well, and you have to look to, to businesses too as well. I mean, large corporations nowadays, they're smart. You know, they understand just because they put their bricks and mortar here, you know, that that's where their employees have to be from. Even that is evolving. That is changing. Even I would suggest those people who are here in Squamish who are, you know, the 60% that are commuting down to Vancouver, you know, I'm sure some of them have flexibility in, in how they work and when they work in the city at the brick and mortar at their place of, of work. A lot of big businesses, they're starting to understand that too as well. That it, you know, you don't have to, they don't have to be here for them to be your employee. You know, they don't have to be literally in, in the same city. But you're still not really addressing how, how we're going to get them to stay here. Because yeah, we want them to be like, they're employed and they're making taxes and they're still working for brick and mortar outside of Squamish. How do we create the brick and mortar here? So they stay here. We grow that and we diversify that economy. We have an understanding of what the problem is and how everything's interconnected. It's just something has to start somewhere. There has to be a cataclysm somewhere to sort of ignite a change so we can diversify that economy. So and with commercial land being rezoned as residential, can we get developers to build commercial space? Can we change the rules a little bit in the, uh, in the commercial park so they can sell out their front door? I mean, there's a lot of little policy, a lot of little bylaw things I think that possibly can be changed well, for the short term anyway. Listen, the District of Squamish has mapped out their employment lines, right? They understand their employment and what we need to do to utilize those fully. There are those who will speak to it quite a bit. It really comes down to utilizing those lands and doing what we can in collaborating with the, the brain trust that we have here already in what has worked for them at this point in time. And when I say the brain test, I don't only mean the entrepreneurs. I mean, you have Squamish First Nation. They're savvy too, and they're always looking for opportunities. So is there an opportunity to think outside the box to create those employment opportunities, you know, with the Squamish Nation, with the lands that they hold? There's a lot of crown land that's still out there to be utilized, right? I mean, a lot of the building that we do is on a floodplain. We have these employment lands. We have these crown lands. We have the Squamish Nation that I think we don't collaborate enough with that we should be utilizing all of those and the people we already have here to come up with a strategic plan. Now, we have an economic development plan. You know, we've got to delve into that. We've got to continue to support that. And I think you support that by creating relationships with those entrepreneurs, with these business people, with the First Nations in town, 
and and try to think outside the box to do yeah, what we can do to create businesses. I think businesses. that's great for the long term, but I think in the short term, there's there's some things that I think is, is missing in, in the conversation. I know Susan Chappelle mentioned once about uh, about alleviating some of the restrictions in terms of building in the commercial zone, whereas you know a lot of these people can't sell out their front doors. Karen Elliott brought up, like, that's great. Why are the restaurants there in the commercial park? It's great that we have backcountry, but why are they in the commercial park? They could, they should be downtown. You know, so there's there's a lot of things that can be changed in, in the, I think in the interim to sort of change the dynamic of how to make that growth. Everyone talks about building and having a long-term vision. It's just in the interim, what do we do to kickstart it? And I think this is where when everyone's in council and you start bouncing ideas is where I think it's going to, this, this catalyst is going to happen. I think in the meantime, people are like, yeah, we need to do this, but no one really has, they have an inkling, but not really a full-fledged plan to get it started. Yeah. Well, when you speak to these guys are built on commercial land, well, it's because everything downtown is so old the cost to renovate were not cost effective to those businesses to make the move there either it was not vacant number one or number two it was not cost effective for them to start that business there right a lot of these places you're seeing it again you you speak to the to the industrial lands that we have and these these companies that are there yes but you know speaking to that point those buildings are being built they were able to to do what they needed to do at a cost-effective price point to open their business. As a new business owner, you know, and again, as an entrepreneur, things have to be cost-effective. So talking about developing downtown then, because we have so many projects in the pipeline now to densify downtown. Do you see a lot of complications coming through with the densification of downtown? Like we're looking at buildings that are six to seven stories. We have that Jumar going in there, uh, the congestion, the, the basically piling everything downtown. They all call that smart growth principles. Um, do we want to concentrate on infilling downtown or is there still possibility to room to grow outside? The OCP has to govern a lot of these decisions. I often speak to the, the OCP and the, when I say that, the official community plan you know, as a, a very dynamic document, right? It guides where we're going and it it changes with the community. And, and often there are times when the council has saw fit to make amendments to that OCP um, to facilitate certain developments. When you speak to the densification of downtown, you have to understand is those decisions have been made. And a lot of these projects, the, the shovels are already in the ground that's the direction that this past council and previous councils before them have decided to go along. I believe it's because of the waterfront lands and that they want to continue or to have some uniformity with respect to what that waterfront and, and Nexon lands are going to look like kind of flowing out into Squamish. So you have to trust that uh, your elected representatives are doing what's best for the town. And at this point in time, there are, again, the, it's the it's the question of the management of that growth, yeah. Right. So you know Cleveland being one way and everyone coming out Loggers Lane or widening the intersection, having more than one way in, one way out, a parkade, so you alleviate some of that traffic, and then of course that leads into transit. Yeah, I believe you know from my time in sitting in front of council and sitting in council chamber meetings, not only during my last run, but with respect to other things that at that point in time, um, youth sport fees, um, there was a feasibility study, as I understand it, that was being completed about with the respect to the use of Third Avenue. Well, a lot of people often talk about you know there's one way in and there's one way out, but 
really that's not true. There's there is still government road there. There is Third Avenue. The, you know there was a feasibility study done, um, I believe, by the current council uh, with respect to you know options for getting in and out of the downtown core. So, yeah, that's it's going to be a challenge. There are a lot of challenges that downtown faces with respect to, to development. We're not talking simply the development itself. Well, yeah, well, the or, development itself has one parking spot for two, three bedrooms, and, right? And, and Where that's are those what cars going to go? Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying, right? That That's not the only issue with respect to development in the downtown. You've got to understand that, you know, parking, right? You know, and then movement of those vehicles uh, in and out of that downtown. The densification, uh, what's it going to look like? You know, I That's would what go. I'm saying. P- it's the management of that. Yeah, and you know what? I would I would go back even you know I'd go back further in time. You know, if you want to understand real densification and choices made by previous councils in Squamish, you simply need to look no further than uh, than Willow Crescent. So right across from the Canadian Tower, you got those three tall buildings there, right? Um, one would suggest there's ample parking, but then you got right behind it, you've got an 82-unit townhouse complex that backs on to, which is, you know, detached single-family residential right along the way. Trying to find a parking space on Willow Crescent for at any time of the season is, is tough, and those residents will tell you that. But you can go down and have a look for yourself. That was the foresight of not this past council, but you know a couple councils before them. You know, so you can understand the challenges when, with respect to densification, right? You have to think about parking. You have to think about these projects when you're talking about bed units, with respect to where are those vehicles going to be? Really, what are those vehicles going to displace if they're if they're not parking? If there is no parking for them on their footprint. And that's my question to you. <laughs> well, and, and again, that's that needs to be, you know, that needs to be discussed. Yeah. And and I think, again, this is out of, you know, you have to think outside of the box with respect to developments that are going to go into downtown Squamish. It's a big issue. There are people very passionate about that issue. You know, from what I understand, it's one of the greatest concerns of people is the parking in downtown. And you see it in, in the local newspapers all the time. With respect yeah, because, I mean, if you want to grow downtown, you want people to get there. Expecting people to hop off somewhere and grab a bus in, it's not really feasible for some people who just want to go in, get something, get out. That's right? exactly it. It's not feasible for families. You cannot expect a person with, you know, a two-year-old to hop out and, you know, a family of five, stop out and ride your bikes in and out of town. It's just, it's, it's not feasible. Right. It's 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 not nor is it reasonable. So you're right. You know, we talk about our our trails and such and and our connectivity and active movement. But you've got to understand that there's a large faction of our population in Squamish is family based. They moved here from the city so that they could have some space of their own that was more affordable than what it was there. So when we talk to, you know, the downtown and we talk to the lack of parking, we've got to do something with respect to working with developers, working with the downtown BIA to try and create those parking spaces to facilitate the change. And the change is coming down there already. Like I say, there's shovels in the ground. We know the history behind the Nexon lens. That's moving forward. Everything's moving forward down there. We have to think outside the box. We have to bring the stakeholders, you know, those businesses and, and those developments to the table to try and figure out how we can obtain, you know, some parking space. Thing is, things have been moving very, very quickly, right? So the thinking outside the box and figuring this stuff out, it, it comes, you know, the reason why we come up with these problems is because the growth, I think, happened really too quickly. And the point of, I think, one of the OCP was, all right, now we have a guiding document, so we can't just sprawl and we can't just build as fast as we want. 
and in, in the way the OCP is inception, there's there's sort of some guidelines there, and you brought up that how the OCP was is, is basically a guiding document, and it's also a living document, and and the fact that there's been a lot of people who've participated in the formation, like a lot of public discourse over this this document. Then you have something like Garibaldi Springs that comes along, and this is this was great space in the in the OCP, and all of a sudden, like Garibaldi Springs, you have all of a sudden zone differently and, and, and you have uh, another complex getting in there. And of course uh, the complaint is, well, you just basically ignored the OCP and also you left money on the table. Way to go. So, I mean, what can you guarantee that this will not happen again? Or was there something going on that people didn't know about? Well, listen, in 2014, and it's kind of funny to say, you know, go back to 2014, your campaign back then. Right. But it still holds true now. You know, back then I said, you know, we need to establish uniform zoning and permitting applications. It needs to be clear. It needs to be concise. What I see a lot now, and especially when we're referencing Garibaldi Springs, is you're stifling opposition. You're carrying it out so long that these people who are opposing of this project, they're organized, but can't keep at it like a developer can. In the most part, these people are not for profit or they're just a bunch of volunteers or there are people who are, who are concerned for their community, you know, our, our permitting and our application and our rezoning processes at this point in time don't support that. We need to ensure that we're working with staff to keep these things clear and concise. You know, you get this, we move on to the next. You get that, we move on to the next, right? If there's opposition to this project, what is the opposition? Can it be satisfied? Do we need to, or is it something that just needs to be shelved? We talked to Garibaldi Springs five years ago, so prior to the last election in 2014, Doug Day held that property, and he was asking that council of that time to do the same thing, essentially, that Polygon's done now. So he was asking, essentially, I'll give you the park space. In exchange, I get you know rezoning so I can develop this portion of land. Well, the park space that he was giving us was no different than it is now in that there's waterways and there are little mini lakes, essentially, or ponds on that property. And DFO, Department of Fisheries and Oceans, and the provincial government, federal government, they have easements on those types of waterways to protect our environments and our ecosystems. Those are in place. At that point in time, the council was not willing to move on that. They were not going to budge. Not simply because of that. They had already knew that the property he wanted to, to gift them in exchange for the rezoning was land that could only be turned to park space. But then not only that, there was a cost associated to the upkeep and maintenance of that property that that council was not willing to foot in exchange to develop for him to develop property. Right. So selling it to a different developer, now this developer's come back and we go through the same process all over again. And there's the same opposition that's there as it was before, a very large and vocal opposition to this property. And yet this time with a different council pushed prior to an election, there's a different outcome. And that's got to be frustrating. Especially when you have a couple of members who voted for it and say they're totally for the OCP. Because this, this kind of flies in the face of the OCP. Don't you agree? Well, it does. But Marcus, as I said before, it's not a static document. This is a dynamic document. If you think about the OCP, let's go back to the 80s when I was a kid. No, what would, but I'm just saying, what would an OCP <laughs> in 1980 look like as opposed to what it does today? True. 
Widening right. the highway, this and that. You know, yeah. I, I mean, it, that is why it is a, it is a dynamic document. But back then in the 80s, in comparison to today, there was a lot more land to work with than today. No, and I agree. But the thing is with this, Marcus, is this, is that if you were going to make a change to that document, it has to be, it has to absolutely 100% be mutually beneficial to both whomever is getting that rezoning. And the right? district. And the district of Squamish. And when I talk to the district of Squamish, I'm talking the citizens of Squamish, everybody. And when you're telling me we're going to turn this part that we wouldn't have been able to do anything with anyways and put it across and it's now we're, we're building, we're going to develop our 20% and profit off of that. And you guys are going to be sitting here paying the money for the maintenance and the upkeep of that property. Great. Parks and trails are, are wonderful. We have a lot of them here already, but at, at what cost? And I'm sure there's, you know, there's enough vocal opposition to that project. Um, Everything comes down to money at this point, right? Because we're, we're, we're growing to the brim and yet we're, we need to really start getting some money in, in, in the doors. So uh, it, it is a very frustrating proposition that happened there. Um, so in terms of let's move into we're back into the money thing. So let's get to Garibaldi Squamish and its newest inception or its new. Yeah, newest inception. I mean, it's yeah, been going I mean, on and, for a while. And I've seen the plans. I've seen the, the overviews and I've seen the phase build out that they that they're looking to do. You know, there's a lot of concern. There is a lot of risk to the district of Squamish and quite simply not enough reward. The rewards, the pros, the employment and taxation Sure, but they compound an already frustrating issue in that with respect to, you know, livability, affordability in our town. You have what I think they wanted, 30,000 bed spaces up there or something. You know, I don't know exactly. 22,000. How much is it? 22,000. So 22,000 bed spaces up there, right? By the final phase. Yeah. So pros are employment and taxation for the District of Squamish. Those are already confounding issues that we already face here today. Local businesses are already having a hard time finding employees. I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? They, they're talking about if they build, they build in phases much like the municipality Whistler has. Every phase will have enough housing for the employees they need, and they'll subsidize housing for employees, and then they'll have a chance to buy property up there as well. So it, that's why it's working in phases. not like they're just going to build 22,000 beds. And no, to no. Yeah, and I've, I've seen that. Obviously, the concerns with this, you know, the first and foremost, most people's concerns are with the aquifer. Right, the Paradise Valley Aquifer. So there is a concern with that. You know, you're pumping water uphill, right? Which is not, you know, the you know the chosen method. It can be done, obviously, but it's not the chosen method. So that's a concern. But I think really the bigger concern here is the disposition of Crown land, which at this point in time, that property is multifaceted, multi-user, free to essentially single-user paid for access only. And given I've lived here all my life, I have a real issue with that. We're going to see more and more of it. I've seen publicly other projects now that are trying to encroach into our back country. But I would suggest it's one of the things that makes Squamish as great as it is, is that we have this unfettered, untapped backcountry that we can get out and get into. And we've created millions of taxation dollars through our trail network with Sorca and otherwise. And we market that hardwired for adventure. And yet what we're doing is we're looking to displace that crown land, you know, for a user pay system. And I just, I like I said, I don't, I'm not personally yeah, in favor I, of that. I, I, I can see what you're saying there. Uh, but it was one of those things where, you know, it, it depends on the agreement they have with locals. If you're a local, if you have a discount of this or that, uh, it's, they're talking about being a, a 365 resort and they're going to expand on the trails, what Sorca already has. So they're basically going to add to Sorca's sort of, 
uh, trail use. Uh, they're also talking about uh, in terms of environment impact when it comes to water. They, you know, whereas LNG had about 24, 25 uh, uh, stipulations, they've had 40. And so far they've met all their stipulations. And Seven relating to water. Yeah. And or there was more. I'm not sure. But they've sort of met all all the all the uh, all the stipulations, whereas LNG hasn't got all their permits. They're in the process of getting all their permits finished and, and wrapped up in nice little bow so we can come along. So in, in but we're of, going back to that EAO. Right. You right. were going to well, they, the environmental they, assessment process. But they've been also too. working closely with the Squamish Nations over it, right? Unlike uh, LNG, where they've had some conflicts, they've actually been working hand in hand with the, the Squamish Nations about all these environmental assessments. My concern is, and, and you know, and what you're bringing up is valid. I'm not discounting what you're saying is, is not valid. My concern is when in terms of, of a, a thing of that grandiose nature is the fact that it could become its own resort municipality, but the province said no. It could, and then or then they can deal with the SLRD because those lands are part of the SLRD. But they want district of Squamish to sort of take over those lands. That for me is my first red flag. It's like why why wouldn't the region want to be part of this? Why wouldn't they want that that taxation injection, right? I, I'm sure everyone can use a taxation injection. What is it going to cost us to take that land for us to uh, accommodate Garibaldi Squamish? That there's a cost there. It's not like they're just going to give us the well, land. And the, and that's tax. the thing. And that's what I'm getting back to. There's just there's a lot of risk in my opinion, and not enough reward. I think, like I say, it's it's too easy to continually take crown land and turn it into into single user paid for access. Right now we we have unfettered access to the backcountry. It's one of the few remaining opportunities for our residents to get out and get into the back. So what is going to happen and, when and we sell all of those off? Well, I'm not saying sell all of it off, but I'm also talking about affordability as well. We're talking about cost, right? Instead of going up to Whistler for a day pass for $180 to Vail Corp, who uh, made it vehemently, uh, they made a statement saying, we don't want day trippers up here anymore. We want we want, we want full-fledged resort hotels out external. Never mind. I don't want Vancouverites or anybody day trippers up here anymore. You're going to have a facility where instead of sending your kids all the way up to Whistler for ski school, you're just up the hill. Like you're literally 10 minutes away. Well, it's going to be more affordable. Of course, that's that, their business plan. Well, of course. I it, mean, if you look it, at it, 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 it makes think sense. about just it. Just the travel alone and having a, a, a ski ticket cheaper than Whistler, then yeah. And we haven't even touched the transit portion, but instead of sending your kids all the way up to Whistler, you're only sending them up. 20 minutes up the hill, right? And going skiing and ski school being cheaper and so forth and so forth. Again, I'm all playing devil's advocate here, right? Yeah, so. no, I know you like to poke my buttons, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, you know, and, and you're getting me going for sure with respect to it. But again, I, I, I will go back and stand firm that in that regardless of what they feel the benefits are of this project, I it is my personal opinion that continually taking crown land and essentially making it personal for-profit land to a corporation or otherwise is not the way we should be going. All right. You said the same thing three times. No, so I know, but, it, but I, there's, you know, so, what happens, and the reason I, no, because you're getting me, you, 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 you've you got to understand. I understand. What happens with, with I, I understand it, so I can't change whether you believe right No, whether you believe in climate change or not, Marcus, whether you believe in climate change or not, okay. whether, you, whether you believe in it or not, right. I talk to the people who are already up there. They go, they've been going there for 20 plus years. And they're telling me where they plan to, to develop this resort. They're seeing less snow and more rain on a yearly basis. 
So what happens if this development goes belly up? Who's left servicing that property? Who's left paying for the servicing? I, I asked the exact property? same question to those guys from Garibaldi Squamish. We did a podcast with them. I asked them the exact same question. And they said their, their funding model and their budget sort of uh, alleviates any of those issues because everything should be paid for by the time they move on to their next phase. And my, next, my question after that was, well, what about 30 years down the road? Right. And, and that's what I'm talking to. Yeah. You know, what happens cost recovery model in your business model is it reflects that development one phase one phase two phase three. But what happens in phase one if it, if it goes belly up, you're speaking to, you know, all of the servicing to, to that site and everything. Who's going to pay for the upkeep of that? Right. You know, and again, those are just a few of my concerns. Right. I don't I don't mean to wrap it up too quickly, but. Anything uh, I missed in our conversation that you want to cover? This is your chance to basically free base at this point. Well, listen, I, I think we need to, you know, and, and our voters and the people of Squamish, the accessibility of their elected officials coming up. There are going to be some some tough questions and there's going to be some, there are obviously some, some big projects on the horizon that are going to shape the future of Squamish. There already are. Be mindful of how accessible those successful candidates are going to be. How much have you seen them in the last couple of years, few years, right? Be mindful of that because Squamish has always been good at that, you know, and, and there are prior council that have been able to, you can meet them any day of the week if you needed to talk to them or you needed to do otherwise. Uh, so I just, I'd say be mindful because, you know, you want your council, mayor included, to be, to obviously be accountable to the city and, um, you know, to love what you do and then to engage the people of the community to ensure proper debate out of proper debate will come proper policy and procedures and governance don't want everybody to agree you need to see every side of the equation and i would just you know hazard make sure that the candidate you're selecting is, is somebody who's going to be accessible somebody's going to be accountable to you to, i tend to think that you'll always find me like you said to start this at the arena or at the baseball fields or at brennan park in some capacity and that's not going to change whether or not I'm successful or not in, in my in my council candidacy. So I would just uh, be mindful. Make sure that you can reach out to these people and they'll and they will uh, they'll obviously give you their time of day. So how can the people reach out to you now, Friar? I do have a Facebook page. I believe it's uh, Alec Friar 2018. Um, I also have uh, an email, votefriar at uh, gmail.com. My contact information is out there too as well. So if you look in the right places, you can find my telephone number. But no joking, if you do need to find me or you would like to broach any of the subjects that we've talked about here today or something maybe that we've missed, come on down to Brennan Park. You're going to find me down there most every single weekend i'm happy to discuss and engage with the community uh, over anything uh, political or even otherwise so i'm looking forward to it thanks very much doing this steven yeah cheers i appreciate your time marcus and thanks again for uh, having me on this podcast yeah i grilled you a little harder than the rest yeah i like no, there's that. no bias in no it. I'm, I'm okay with i that. haven't known you for years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you mister appreciate it cheers this is the sea to sky podcast if you have a comment or story ideas please check out our website at sea to sky podcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on 